When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, where I interview authors about their latest works. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. For more book recommendations, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page, and on Twitter at Burn555555. Today, I am interviewing Kim Neville about The Memory Collectors. Kim is an author and graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop, where she found the first shiny piece of inspiration that became the memory collectors. When she's not writing, she can be found heron spotting on the seawall or practicing yoga in order to keep calm. She lives near the ocean in Vancouver, Canada, with her husband, daughter, and two cats. The Memory Collectors is her first novel. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Welcome, Kim. How are you today? I'm great. Good. I'm so glad you're here to talk with me about the memory collectors. Oh, me too. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't we get started and you can just tell me a little bit about it. Sure. Uh, The memory collectors is the story of two women with a shared gift. They can sense the emotions and memories left behind on objects. Ev sees this ability as a curse. She's seen firsthand how dangerous it can be. She seeks to protect herself and others from it. And she calls objects with emotional charges stained. Harriet views her gift as a blessing and one of the great joys in her life. And she collects what she calls bright things or treasures. Both of these women are haunted by events in their pasts. And when they meet, their lives become intertwined in surprising ways. Well, I was so curious as I was reading the book how you came up with the idea. I just love that, that every object sort of takes on the history of whoever's owned it. Thanks. It required a lot of brainstorming and thinking. The story originally came from a short story that I wrote at the Clarion West Writers Workshop, which is an intensive six-week workshop for writers of speculative fiction. So the story was originally much more fantastical than the memory collectors actually became. In it, Harriet is a woman, actually a witch, who hoards magical objects And she runs into trouble when she steals a neighbor's dragon. So it's a lot more fantasy um, and a lot more 
magical, I guess, not so grounded in, in the real world. It wasn't the best story that I wrote at the workshop, but there was something about it that captured my imagination. So I knew I wanted to develop it further. So I began thinking about how we as humans relate to physical objects and what makes an object, quote, magical. So we ascribe meaning to things based on our interactions with them and our stories about them. I found it so interesting that inanimate objects can hold so much power over us. The memories that we associate, say, with a a cherished piece of jewelry or a favorite mug can be so vivid and emotional. It's almost as though the object itself has taken on those emotions. So this led me to start thinking about what life would be like for a person with an acute sensitivity to those impressions that we leave behind on objects. Such a fascinating premise. I just loved it. And it really made me think a lot. And I bet for you, trying to take that and weave it throughout the whole story required a lot of planning. <laughs> yes, it did. I spent a lot of time thinking about the implications of sort of an ability like that and how how it could take different people in different directions. And I think that's how I came up with the sort of opposing viewpoints of Ev and Harriet. And just sort of how that would play out day to day, year to year, kind of you're almost creating, it's not really creating a world, but you're create, you're, you are world building in a little way because you're taking this one idea and then having to thread it through both of their lives. That's right. Did that take a long time? It did take a long time. I like to tell the story that I, I began writing my very first draft of this when my daughter started kindergarten. And now she is starting, she just started high school. So that's how long it took for me to develop it from that first little seed to what it is now. Of course, including all the time I spent searching for an agent and the publishing process. But the actual writing of the novel took me about four years. Do you have a set schedule that you use when you write? Do you write every day? Do you write a certain number of words, a certain amount of time? How does that work for you? I usually write in the mornings and I protect an hour of every morning for new creative work. So that started early on when my daughter was little and I was working full time and I just had a hard time finding time when I wasn't exhausted to actually work on new things. So I found that I was at my best in the morning. Um, there's something about that time of day when I'm especially creative. I think my editor is still asleep or something. My thoughts flow more freely and I write more quickly, actually. So a one hour stretch at six in the morning is so much more productive for me than like three hours in the evening. I think that makes sense because you've been asleep. Your brain has had time to rest. You know, you don't have all the the stains of the day, <laughs> um, you know, in your brain while you're trying to write. But instead, you've just sort of started fresh every morning. And so that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been really helpful for me. And even now when I'm spending so much time on the marketing and promotion of this book, it's so helpful for me to set aside that time to start new things. That makes sense, because also, I think, especially with all these online events these days, you could really just spend all of your time on the marketing right now. I think all of the online events have been a blessing of the pandemic. But on the flip side, I feel like as an author or even as, you know, somebody that's trying to help authors, you literally could just fill all of your hours with these events and, and still there'd be more to go. 
It's true. I have to be really aware of not taking on too much. So being a little deliberate about how many things I say yes to. So far, it's been okay, but I can see how it could quickly become overwhelming. I will say, though, it's really nice that I'm doing a launch event on March 16th, and I get to have a friend of mine from New Orleans be my conversation partner, which is really cool because we haven't seen each other in two and a half years. And he, we get to share this together in a way that we would not be able to do like in normal times, quote. I agree. And that to me is the silver lining is that people from all over the country, all over the world can join into your event where that wouldn't happen if you were just launching it, you know, like we did pre-pandemic. So I'm, I'm hoping when we're done with all of this, that there'll be some mixture. Yeah. I agree. I would think there will be. Well, did you have a character that you enjoyed writing the most? I really enjoyed writing Owen. He is a a middle-aged artist who builds sculptures from found objects. And at the beginning of the book, he's Ev's only friend. The two of them bike around the city scavenging together. He's not a perfect person, but he's kind-hearted and generous. And he's got this peaceful energy. I liked being around him, (laughs) if that makes sense. A lot of times authors will tell me that their characters speak to them. Do yours speak to you? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if they speak to me. I'm always aware that they are my own creations, but certainly I do feel like they are alive in some way, kind of like the objects that you have around you that like have those like impressions in them. They live in my head and they still feel like slightly independent of me, even though I am the person who created them. Not too long ago, an author said that after she was finished with her book, the characters still lived on and she would think about them and wondering what they were doing. And <laughs> I thought, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I, you know, I loved that. Um, yeah, I definitely think about that or I'll, I'll be coming across something in my day-to-day life and think, what would Ev think about this? And, and then I think, well, that's a strange question to ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently it's not that strange because uh, it seems like it happens fairly often. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, tell me about the title. I'm a huge title and cover person and I love, love, love your cover. And so we can talk about that in a minute. But tell me how the Memory Collectors came about as your title. Oh my gosh, we went through so many iterations of this. So originally, I had called the book Magpie. That's how I queried it. That was the title of it all the way up through the editing process. And it wasn't until we kind of got to the marketing stage and when we were looking at cover designs that we decided to revisit that title, thinking that it was a little bit generic, Magpie. And We went through a brainstorming process. My editor came up with 25, 30 different titles that she thought were potential uh, good titles. And then I did brainstorming and then my husband did. And when it came down to it and I collated all of the various ideas we had, we had something like over 100 titles. Oh, wow. And, uh, and then I sent those to my agents and my editor and, we're, <laughs> and I was like, here you go. Here's some ideas. I had picked like five or six that were sort of my top picks. And my editor, I think, was the one who came up with the memory collectors. I had suggested maybe the memory gatherers, and she riffed off of that. And then um, at the same time, we were developing the cover. And when we saw that title on the cover, 
it just like kind of clicked and they were like, that's, that's it. Well, I think it's the perfect title. And so, you know, it kind of makes you wonder about the story before you read it. And then when you're done, it just fits very well. Thank you. So tell me about the cover. Oh, I love my cover. So the design is by Leiwan Kwan at Atria Books. She just did an incredible job. When we were beginning, my editor and I were sort of brainstorming. I don't have a background in visual arts or design, so I didn't really know what I wanted other than I hoped that it would be beautiful and I hoped it would be just a little bit magical. So uh, we looked at a few sample covers, other books that were out there and decided that we kind of wanted something where there was a title in the middle and then some significant objects from the book sort of surrounding it. Um, and that was it. And then Leiwan Kwan went away and she came back with basically the design as you see it now. I think the only thing that we changed, there was a thimble on the cover and then along with the thimble and the buttons and the scissors, I thought maybe that's a little too heavy on the sewing side. Like it maybe might send people thinking in the wrong direction about what this book was. So we swapped the thimble out for the little gold brooch that's up above the scissors. And then that was it. Other than that, I think we, I think we looked at the font, but we didn't even change the font. Everything else was just like, ah, oh, that's it. The way the lights glow on the cover is just so beautiful. I couldn't be happier. I agree. I think it's absolutely stunning. I agree with you on the lights. That's one of the things that really stands out. It's a little different than most other covers, and it just kind of makes you, it seems a little mystical, magical. That's right. Like nothing that's on the cover suggests any kind of magic. It's just a bunch of uh, like random objects and some lights, but yet it still like has that magical quality. And I think it's like the illumination of those little bulbs. I think so too. Well, I always hate to ask this because you're in the process of launching this book, but are you working on anything else that you can share with me at this time? Sure. I am working on a second novel. It's uh, it's taken a bit of a back burner over the last couple of weeks, but it's something I'm really excited about. It is the story of a family of witches and the grimoire that finds them. So like the memory collectors, it is contemporary fiction with some magical elements. I have been describing it as little women meets practical magic, although it is taking a little bit of a darker turn and there's definitely ghosts. So you must have an interest in witches since this book started out with a witch, though eventually it switched away from that. And now you're writing about witches. <laughs> Definitely. I love books about witches. I have a stack of them actually um, on my bedside stand that I can't wait to read. <laughs> well, in the ghost element, I always love ghost stories as long as they don't get too creepy. Yes, same. <laughs> Though I can't read them at night a lot of times. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> I am a scaredy cat. <laughs> oh, I am too. Well, what's the best thing about being a writer? I think connecting with readers about my book. I think the most rewarding thing about this whole process is when a bookstagrammer or a blogger takes me in a review and talking about how the memory collectors really touch them. I just can't get over it. That's the best feeling. You know, that's so interesting that you say that about the tagging, because there's been this sort of whole discussion in the last six to eight months. And part of it is related to negative reviews. And I fully am on board with do not tag an author in a negative review. <laughs> but some authors say they don't even like to be tagged in positive reviews, which I think is so interesting. That is interesting. I I don't 
feel that way at all. Um, I think one of the reasons that I write anything is to connect. And uh, I've always wanted to write stories that change people in some way. So I love getting that feedback. And yes, I have actually been tagged in less positive reviews. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, I just leave them aside and move on. I know that nobody's going to love every book, right? It's going to resonate with some people and not with others. And that's fine. But I love knowing when my book has touched someone. I agree that every book is not going to hit every reader the same way and different people are different. So how they digest something, you know, really will matter. But I think it's incredibly rude to tag an author if you're then going to, you know, say ugly things. It's one thing to write a review on Goodreads because you can choose to go on Goodreads or not. But if somebody tags you, that's calling your attention to something. You know what I mean? So I'm fully on board with the don't tag people with negative reviews because I think it's very rude and, you know, that shouldn't be done. But I was kind of surprised on the don't tag tag me on positive reviews because, you know, most authors seem to love that. And the same feedback you're saying, I hear regularly from authors, like, I love to hear what resonated with my book because sometimes you'll write the book and certain things will stick out to you and then readers will focus on something else completely, you know? Well, that's so true. And it's, I think it's helpful in some ways if you're planning to write more books to know what was it that I did especially well? What do people love? Um, Because you know, I would want to incorporate more of that, you know? (laughs) No, I agree completely. And I don't think that's the norm. And it sort of came out on a side note when, you know, people were discussing for the thousand time, the tagging of the negative. (laughs) Um, And so I just thought, oh, I don't know that I've ever heard that before. What do you like to do when you're not writing or reading? I do a lot of yoga. My yoga studio has been hosting Zoom classes, which has been sort of life-saving for me, to be honest. So um, I do that two, three times a week in order to stay calm, walking. I'm really into right now jigsaw puzzles. I think anything that takes me away from a screen and like doing something that's like in real life is really helpful to me at the moment. My family and I have been playing a lot of board games, stuff like that. We play a lot of board games, too, and I just love that. That's just a great way. I have teenagers, so it's a great way to interact with them and, like you said, get away from the screens. I mean, we watch a lot of movies, too, which I think is better than just everybody sitting around on their phone. But we also play a lot of board games. Yeah. And we did a lot of puzzles early on, and I think we sort of OD'd on them. (laughs) So then I was like, okay, now I associate puzzles with the pandemic. But (laughs) I know lately we have gotten them back out and started slowly working on them again. Yeah, I think there are small doses activity. (laughs) Well, and it's like, it's almost like what we were just talking about with your book and objects. You know, you can start to associate something with something unpleasant or something pleasant, and then it sort of will either stain it or make it popular. And I think for a little bit, because I was, you know, we did so many puzzles early on when there was nothing else to do. Now I'm kind of like, oh. (laughs) That's actually... That's so true. My daughter has gone off movies altogether. And I think it was because early in the pandemic, we were watching movies constantly just to pass the time and to give ourselves something. And now she's like, I don't want to watch a movie. I'm not interested. She doesn't even really like Netflix anymore. She's like once in real life experiences. Well, and you really feel for these teenagers because they're losing out on so much of that time that they should be having all these fabulous in real life experiences. And it's really difficult for them. Oh, totally. Well, before we wrap up, what have you read recently that you really liked? Okay. I just finished reading The Mask of Mirrors by M.A. Carrick. 
which is a big, lush, epic fantasy adventure. It's about a con artist who tricks her way into a noble house in order to secure a fortune for herself and her sister. So I loved this because I just needed a big escape for a little while. So if you're in the mood to leave all your troubles behind for a deep dive into this gorgeous world full of magic and political intrigue, then I highly recommend it. The other book that I've read recently, actually, this is going to be two books. It, it's actually going to be three books. The, <laughs> it's actually going to be 10 books. <laughs> it's uh, the Trickster Trilogy by Eden Robinson. So this is a coming of age story that blends everyday teenage existence with indigenous beliefs. It follows the journey of a young man named Jared as he learns that his family bloodlines are more complicated than he thought. So... I love these books because they're funny, they're heartbreaking, and they're magical. And also, they take place in my corner of the world. So the first book, Son of a Trickster, is set in northern British Columbia. And the second one, which is called Trickster Drift, takes place in Vancouver, which is my hometown. It's also where the Memory Collectors is set. Uh, The final book, the third book, I have not read, but it just came out actually two days ago. So it's at the top of my to-read pile. Oh, those sound fabulous. And I think my middle teenager might really like those too. Yes. I thought I was going to get some witch stories recommendations. I know. And yet though all of those are still in my, I have not read yet, and they're sitting in my stack. So I'm really looking forward to uh, Alex E. Harrow's new book, Once in Future Witches. That's kind of near the top of my list too, but I haven't gotten into it yet. I've been seeing that one. Kim, thank you so much for joining me on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I had so much fun talking to you. Thank you. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page, tell all of your friends about the podcast, and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would greatly appreciate it. Kim's book can be purchased at the Conversations From a Page bookshop storefront or at Murder by the Book, and both links are in the show notes. The link to help support the podcast or advertise is also in the show notes in case you're interested in that. I hope you'll tune in next time.
Nelson Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast.